Angie's List is now Angie, and we've heard a lot of theories about why. I thought it was an eco-move. Fewer words, less paper. No, it was so you could say it faster. No, it's to be more iconic. Must be a tech thing. But those aren't quite right. It's because now you can compare upfront prices, book a service instantly, and even get your project handled from start to finish. Sounds easy. It is, and it makes us so much more than just a list. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I. Or download the app today. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. I absolutely love this because you know if you own a home, it can be really hard to maintain. It's hard to find people that can help you for a big project or a small. Well, whether it's in everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality, it can be hard just to know where to start. But now all you need to do is answer that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish. Or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps, because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. At Popular Science, we report and write dozens of science and tech stories every week. And while most of the stuff we stumble across makes it into our articles, we also find plenty of weird facts that we just keep around the office. So we figured, why not share those with you? Welcome to The Weirdest Thing I Learned This Week from the editors of Popular Science. I'm Rachel Feltman. I'm Sarah Chodosh. And I'm Mary Roach. Mary, welcome to the show. Thanks. Uh, listeners, of course, most of you already know that uh, Mary Roach is the author of numerous books that we talk about frequently on Weirdest Thing, uh, including Gulp, Bonk, Spook, which was featured recently <laughs> in our ectoplasm fact, and most recently, uh, Fuzz. Mary, before we get into the show, do you want to talk a little bit about uh, your latest Oh, about the book, not my fact. Uh, yeah, we'll get we'll get to the facts. <laughs> oh, okay. Sure, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Fuzz is a book about uh, animals breaking human laws and what to do about that. Obviously, animals can't really break the law because they're written for humans, but nonetheless, they commit manslaughter and breaking and entering and jaywalking and vandalism and <laughs> trespassing. They do all that, and it bugs us. And so it's a book about, essentially, it's human-wildlife conflict, and um, better ways to deal with it. And that's pretty much what the book is about. Awesome. Uh, we will link to that in the show notes and on popsci.com slash weird. Uh, so of course, as always, we recommend that our listeners check it out. Uh, but for now, let's get into the show. On The Weirdest Thing I Learned This Week, we start by each offering up a little tease about some kind of fact or story we found in the course of reading, writing, reporting, etc., and decide which one we just absolutely have to hear more about first. Then once we've all had time to spin our little science yarns, we reconvene and decide what the weirdest thing we learned this week actually was. Sarah, why don't you start with your tease? I'm going to be talking about the cause of death in the 17th century known as planet <laughs> Wonderful. I, I can't wait to hear more. Oh, planet. I, planet. Yep. I hope. Death by planet. Oh, my God. He died of planet. <laughs> so rare. Not really. <laughs> yeah. I mean, don't we all die of planet, really, in one way or another? Um, Plan I think planet is dying of us now. That's yeah. It is true. Yeah. Uh, so my tease is that I want to talk about the most important ferret in the history of particle physics. Um, and several other weasels <laughs> relevant. I thought you were just going to stop story. at the most important ferret. I mean, arguably the most important ferret in the world of particle physics is the most important ferret. Um, Fair enough. So, <laughs> existentially. You, I will let you have that. <laughs> uh, Mary, what's your tease? Uh, my tease is that this Swedish National Transportation Research Institute funded the design of a moose crash test dummy. Oh, that's a big, 
That's a big crash test dummy. <laughs> it's a, it is. It's got a lot of legs, a lot of moving parts. It's very large. <laughs> so what should we uh, start with? I mean, maybe death by planet. That's a pretty... <laughs> sure. I'm very yeah, curious. We can, we can talk about planetary death of one kind or another. So... All right, so I feel like I don't I don't usually talk about like how I found my fact, but I feel it's necessary to the story here, uh, which is essentially that I was browsing Reddit and found a list, an amazing list, which is the diseases and causalities this year being 1632, i.e. a record of the causes of death in London in 1632. And it is pretty wild. Like modern tables of death records are not especially funny, uh, but this one is pretty wild. So we've got one death from affrighted. We have 10 from cancer and wolf together. (laughs) That's one line item. Right. Of course. We have uh, killed by several accidents. Also, king's evil, rising of the lights, teeth, and, of course, planet. There were a a lot more. Obviously, you have your your measles and so on. Uh, But those are the funniest ones. There are also some that didn't even really sound like words such as jawfalln j-a-w-f-a-l-n tissic quincy imposthume uh so i went looking for some explanations because these uh seemed absolutely wild i was expecting it to be like infectious diseases I had heard of and, you know, are no longer causes of death. Um, But in looking for explanations, I found this entire paper about the births and deaths in St. Giles Cripplegate Parish, which was one of the largest parishes in London. And it goes over all of the death records from 1654 to 1693, and then also 1729 to 1743. Um, there was actually an act of parliament that required all parishes to keep records of births and deaths uh, starting in 1653. So this one is more official than the the earlier one, although no less full of hilarious words. Um, and this paper like goes through and explains all of them, such as the fact that cancer and wolf is because wolf was like a term for cancers. I'm not quite sure why there were two words um but wolf does seem kind of appropriate uh, as as a a cancer metaphor um so some of these are are like pretty standard like a, a lot of deaths from fever uh which kind of could have been anything that causes a fever you've got your measles worms rickets plague also just aged a lot of wounds a lot of broken limbs obviously because there were no antibiotics and it was pretty easy to die from those kinds of things there was one just called distracted. There was also, <laughs> yeah, there was also uh, this amazing detail, which is really not disease related, but it did note that there was um, one grocer who was, quote, blown up with gunpowder in his dwelling house by accident. And I don't know why a grocer would have had a lot of gunpowder. Well, someone has to sell the gunpowder, Sarah. Come on. (laughs) I suppose that's true. It's not what I would have thought of as as something you'd get from a grocer. I don't know if gunpowder is really a grocery item, is it? (laughs) It's not. And it is his dwelling house. So, you know, maybe maybe he sold someone some bad fruit and someone had a vendetta. Or he's a hunter grocer. Right, right. (laughs) The by accident seems um, presumptuous. Like... He, tri- he tripped on a bag of gunpowder. <laughs> and it's, it's spontaneously <laughs> yeah. ignited. Yeah. Um, uh, anyway, so rather than me uh, like going through and listing these, I thought I might make this a little bit of interactive. Would you two like to guess what the leading oh my cause of death I love, I love was? I do feel like I don't, like there's no two writers in the world who I feel are like more qualified to guess. <laughs> yeah. Um... The leading cause of death of the, of all the ones that you mentioned, or, or it, it, no total. Okay. And this is sixteen. So it's it's seventeenth and eighteenth century, London. I'm gonna go with with childhood disease of some kind. Mm. They're all they were always the kids are always dropping dead back then. I, the kids are always dropping, dropping dead. dead. That's so true. <laughs> I, I want, the kids are not all right. <laughs> I want to say 
syphilis, even though it's not true. I mean, you just want to say it. I just want to say yeah. it. It probably was true. I just don't think they knew that. Okay, Mary is kind of kind of close, but if you're going by like individual causes, it was tuberculosis consumption. Ah. Um, if you added them all up, though, I it is childhood disease, and we're going to get to that later. But I thought I might start on like a slightly lighter note rather than all the children dropping well, dead. But we will get to it. Leave it to me to bring the dying children <laughs> right front and center. Don't, don't you worry. I I wrote the I wrote the end of this and was like, is this too dark? I thought no. Mary Roach is on the show today, so it's not. Um, so yeah, so consumption, uh, which is the old fashioned term for tuberculosis, since you uh, lose a wild amount of weight, is number one. And then actually, there are there are two other names on the list. Tisic, uh, which is like a bastardization of tissus, P-H-T-H-I-S-S, obviously, uh, which is like a more formal name for tuberculosis. Um, and also, so that's like tissic is is essentially just also TB. Um, and also King's Evil, which is now called scrofula or scrofula, which I don't think is a better word, to be honest, uh, but is a kind of tuberculosis that spreads to your lymph nodes. So uh-huh. tuberculosis overall, I, I think huh. it was called King's Evil because supposedly the king's touch could heal it. And I can't tell if that means like the king was evil if he let you die of consumption. <laughs> Or if it was like they thought maybe if the king hated you, you you got it. I'm, it's unclear to me. Wow. So scrofula is actually tuberculosis. It is wow. a type of, it's, wow. tu- it's tuberculous cervical lymphadenitis, to be huh. specific. I always thought it was a scrotum thing. <laughs> it you sounds think, like wouldn't it should right? be. Yeah some, yeah, some gross, crusty scrotum thing. Scrofula. <laughs> or you yeah. know, Dracula's. Cousin. Yeah, it was like Count Scrofula. <laughs> Count Scrofula. <laughs> oh boy. Um so okay, so we're gonna we're gonna have a, a little a little quiz here, if you guys will allow Absolutely, me. Absolutely. Yeah. Just, I'm just gonna go through some of these uh and ask you what you think they are. Just shout them out. Okay. We're gonna start with wind. A, a fart. Uh, flatulence. <laughs> I yeah I mean some kind of GI <laughs> sure. issue basically yeah also relatedly there was a griping of the gut mm. flux scouring which I think was a word for like diarrhea that, I, I don't yeah if I had to guess yeah it just... feels scouring it's kind of apt um also my favorite timpani which is like <laughs> if your stomach is distended bum, 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 right bum. you you tap on oh, it and I just right. I think that's the most beautiful term for yeah. like gas in your abdomen that i've ever heard um and also gout in the stomach which you can't really get uh but gout does po- but cause you, stomach problems you can it's sure feel like you thing. got it yeah yeah it's a yeah i i don't wow. i'm gonna be honest there was a lot of medical confusion on this list in general <laughs> did, uh, did dropsy make the list that was always my favorite dropsy dropsy was on the list yes yeah. i'm i almost included this here and now i'm glad i i didn't include it because i wouldn't have stumped you okay <laughs> Mortif- mortific I, I know <laughs> All right, mortification. Uh, mortification. Um, death by death. Just, just you just died. Just like, <laughs> or, or like, um, just yeah. It seems like it'd be death over. by fright, but yeah, fright, fright, psychological fear. Thing. Being just someone who was really universally disliked, who then died, <laughs> and they were like. <laughs> It was probably because the they sucked so much. Uh, it's gangrene. Oh, from the original okay. term, oh. from, like if you mortify, originally meant like di- something dying, oh, okay, so your right. flesh dies. Yeah, so it actually kind of makes a lot of sense. And actually, if you look at like the Google engrams thing, mortify is a really popular word in the 1800s because I guess a lot of people died of gangrene. So that's a fun fact. Oh, yeah. Um, Okay. It makes the right. modern use oh. of the word feel very melodramatic. <laughs> I know it does. I'm kind of now curious to look up the etymology about how that shifted mm. as a meaning. Um, okay. Rising of the lights. Hanukkah. Rising of the lights. <laughs> Death by Hanukkah. Rising of the um, Rising of the lights. I don't light. think there were any Jews in this, right. this <laughs> census reading. <laughs> Was that a, a, like, something based on the humors, like your lighthearted humors are out of balance or something? Or like a, 
like some I mean, it's a better guess than I had. an imbalance of some kind, rising of the lights. Oh, oh, hit by hit by a car. Oh, they didn't have cars. <laughs> yeah, in cars. the 17th century. Yeah, hit by well, a, a horse and buggy, or like hit. a like a stroke. Something. These are good guesses, and none of them are correct. Uh, yeah, it has to do. The lights was a term for lungs. Oh. So basically, like if you had oh. some kind of like lung issue, it, rising of the lights referred to like a like a rising feeling in your chest, like a tightness. Mm. So it, it was like probably anything that was vaguely related to breathing. Um, also, rising of the mother, the mother being your uterus. Oh yeah, I was gonna say the mother was the the uterus, and I have a whole in. In my upcoming book, there's a whole bunch about, um, you know, the uterus on the move, which yeah. is like, I knew going in that they thought that the uterus was on the move, but there was just a lot more throughout medical history of people blaming things on uteruses being on the move and like literally being like rodents inside of you, uh-huh. like snuffling around. Yeah, I remember that. So that's horrifying. Um, okay. We're going to do one more and then I'll explain. Then I'll have you guess planet. Uh, but first, purples. <laughs> purples. Um, it sounds pretty Was cute. that like bubonic plague or something else? Yeah, bulbous? Some, kind of, some kind of disgusting skin bulbous thing. You're pretty close. Not bulbous, but purpura. Like purpura being the symptom. But like, I think any bleeding disorder where you got like little purple blotches under your skin. So it kind of would have covered a lot of things. I think it's generally associated with typhus. Or also meningococcus. I don't know how common that was, but typhus was definitely popular. Well, popular is maybe not the right way to put it, but <laughs> common. I love um, typhus. <laughs> um, okay, and then uh, planet. Or, or planet struck, if that helps you. <laughs> planet, str- planet, uh, planet struck. Um, is that just like falling? The planet does kill you if you hit the ground, if you think about <laughs> it. That's true. That's true. That normal force coming back up at or, you. Or like a weather, natural, that, was it just like getting like killed in a storm? I don't know. Oh, what, good was one. It? Yeah, like like natural disasters. Yeah. That also would make a lot of sense. This doesn't <laughs> make too sense. much sense so for the 1600s. These are, these is lo- this is logical. COVID? Think less logical. Was it COVID? <laughs> yeah, it's come back. <laughs> Um, it basically meant that you you just died suddenly, as in like the planets aligned, like fate had it in for you, and you just died, and there wasn't an explanation. Also, frighted or affrighted was the same thing. Like it didn't mean you were frightened. It just it meant like you died. <laughs> we don't know. Sometimes it was just suddenly, which wow. is a much more concise way to put it. It's funny because I I knew there were there was a lot of confusion about like how many different diseases there were which is fair because they're like you know germ theory wasn't a thing so it was like based on symptoms and that meant sometimes two different diseases could be confused for the same thing or one disease could be confused for like 10 different things but it's funny to me that they had multiple names for more uh philosophical ways of dying (laughs) like i feels like they should have just settled on one word for they just died yeah it seemed like even within the same table or within the same parish, it was, like, not consistent. And the paper does point out that a lot of times the people determining the cause of death was, like, not any kind of medical professional. It was just, like, whatever schmuck got sent to, like, pick up your body and bring it to the church was, like, asked your family, like, what happened? And they were, like, I don't know. And they were, like, plan it. And they were, like, all right, just plan it. (laughs) Yeah. So, yeah. And Um, and coroners were appointed. I mean, they're not medical. Even today, they're, like, elected or appointed, they are not the people that do the exam. They're the people who announce it. <laughs> it's the weirdest. <laughs> like it used to be like the king's, you know, corona comes from corona crown. And it was a, a just kind of like some dude who got a cushy post. <laughs> it's like, I what did he die of? <laughs> oh, hang on. Let me ask. <laughs> Planet. <laughs> I didn't know the origin of that, but every time I've I voted for coroner, it just felt fundamentally wrong. Yeah, it's like very, why do I? I don't know yeah, what makes a good like, coroner. Exactly. Why am I voting for this? Well, when you think about it, like it's less silly today, but we do still run into trouble. I mean, Sarah, you've done a lot of like data reporting on like mortality trends and had to deal with the fact that often the reported cause of death is like not. Um really useful or consistent, you know, it, it might like 
deaths might all be lumped together as accidents depending on what state they're in and you have to you don't have any way of like breaking those apart into like overdoses etc um and then obviously with the pandemic there was a lot of there were a lot of issues around like arguments over what the cause of death should be whether it was like the ultimate organ failure or covid so I guess what I'm saying is as is so often the case on the podcast I think if we are lucky enough to have humans thinking about us 400 years from now, they will probably um, think we're really goofy. <laughs> it's true. Yeah, it's it's difficult to track deaths well, even with a very, very standardized system. Um, so, you know, hard to blame them. Um, I have a few more that I'll run through that I won't make you guess. For instance, <laughs> imposthume was some kind of abscess. Megram could have been either a migraine or depression. I guess those went hand in hand. Uh, Quincy is actually a term that is still used today, which is a complication of tonsillitis, where the infection spreads to the rest of your throat and today is super treatable. And back then, uh, your throat could swell up to the point that you just couldn't breathe anymore. So that's a horrifying way to go. Um, Someone really didn't like Quincy, whoever he was. I know. Yeah. I think it's spelled uh, with an S, right? Quincy? Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, <laughs> I know, but, th- but you know what I that leads me what I was going to say is I really love the names of disease you know some of these horrifying diseases they just had such quaint <laughs> names compared to now where it's like streptopneumococcosyphilitic <laughs> hoo-ha yeah now it's like it used to, it used to be quincy dropsy uh you know yeah. these, these very they were much more charming ways to die charm- for sure <laughs> yeah they were very charming and so so were the treatments some of them like I, I have the 1899 Merck manual which the Merck manual people put out as an anniversary thing in 1999 or whatever it was yeah n- yeah 1999 they put out the uh, a, it's a slim volume and it had things like one of the treatments I forget what the, it was treating was removal inland <laughs> it's just removal, removal inland. inland which I think meant a change of climate yeah, like to a drier to a drier place, maybe a removal inland. You know, so just put them on a train, give them a nice vacation. They'll be better in a week. <laughs> I saw a tweet or TikTok wow. recently that was like, "We need to bring back uh, being sent to the seaside for your health." Like, I would definitely yeah. benefit from someone being like, "You have a weak constitution. Um, you're not fit for labor. You need to go take in the seaside air." I would yeah. uh, love to be told that. That would be great. <laughs> I totally agree. Yep. I'm also going to totally ruin the mood by uh, getting around <laughs> to the end, which is about the children Oh, of dying. course. Of course you are. Sarah. So sorry about that. Um, okay. So to circle back. So like Mary is correct that the definitely the leading cause of death was was being a child, essentially. Um, in the In this paper in particular... Uh, more than 17% of all deaths occurred in early childhood, and that was not counting, like, plague, fevers, consumption, which almost certainly killed lots more children. So, like, probably at least one in five deaths were children, which is fairly horrifying. And upsettingly, as I went through this and I was, like, laughing my way through the list, like, I was expecting to see a lot of child deaths. So you have a lot of, like, stillborn and abortive like not meaning an abortion back then but just like some kind of miscarriage probably Uh, but I mean there's literally a line that just says infant which is very sad because that's just like that's not even a cause of death that's just like it's a big risk factor (laughs) yes this was a baby and babies die yeah um but even some of the ones I thought were going to be funny were sad like teeth is way up there it is the fourth most common cause of death and that was a term for babies that died when they were teething like oh, that no. was such a common I occurrence was... that I think there was a belief that like teeth coming in could be dangerous because so many babies died when they were teething, which is horrifying. A chrysum, or I'm sure I'm not saying that right, was a baby who had been baptized but was still less than a month old. The chrysum or chrysum being like a, the white cloth that you lay over a child during baptismal service. Uh, it was just like... I, it, it was horrifying and most horrifyingly Mary you go before I say wait, the most wait, horrifying wait, thing. Wait, wait. let's stretch that out let's build some, yeah, okay. build okay. some drama and anticipation <laughs> um, the, the christening cloth killed them 
What they've smothered? No, no. Sorry. It was as in the they had a specific term for babies that had already been baptized but died oh. before they were a month old. I see. And that that was just the term they named it after the cloth. I see. I see. Okay. That would be an extremely dangerous service if they died of the cloth. <laughs> the cloth. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. Now to the dark part. Yeah, darker. So, um the second most common cause of death, like item by item, was convulsions, which I thought was really weird because to us today, convulsions is a very specific medical term. Um, and why would that many people be dying of convulsions, like more than fevers or plague or anything like that? Um, but back then, it was probably a cover-up for infanticide because that oh. was a crime, obviously, and still is. And uh, it was really common back then. But like that was not something that anybody wanted to fess up to. There was also one called overlaid which meant like a person rolled over on their baby accidentally and smothered it and that was also a really common thing to put if you had killed your child or someone thought you had and didn't want to blame you um i think i feel like those were the worst ones because that's not like like disease we expect kind of to have like taken a lot of lives but we kind of forget that like in an era with like no birth control and no really no real medical care let's be honest it was like it was a liability to have a child especially if you were a woman who had a baby out of wedlock and you were going to like have your life completely ruined by the fact that you just gave birth to a child right or you couldn't afford number four yeah yeah yeah, exactly um so yeah i'm just an, an incredibly depressing note to end on but i do feel like we should appreciate more the fact that in the 21st century it's just assumed you'll make it to adulthood like, that's fine. And we kind of forget that it was not that long ago that it was pretty common that, like, a substantial fraction of your children would die before they were 10. And, like, for reference, so the the U.S. child mortality rate today, uh, like, I mean, 2019 is the most recent data, is about 0.65%. And the highest in the world is Nigeria, which is about 12%. And that's down by, like, a third since 1960. Um, worldwide, it's it's like generally closer to something like 0.5 to like 6% in many parts of Africa. It's more like 6 to 10%. And that's obviously still a lot of children. It is millions and millions of kids who die every year. And many of them do not have to. Like many of those are completely preventable deaths. Um, but it is still a really wild amount of progress. Like in this paper, the number they cite is like, it's roughly 20% of all deaths were children, which is not how we define child mortality today. But um, I did find another paper that said in the 17th century, the mortality rate would have been like one in three children died wow. before they were 15, which is just a crazy number. Yeah. Wow. That's awful. Sarah. <laughs> sorry. Why do you, sorry why you always got to come, come into my house and bump me out? <laughs> But yeah, it it is true that the world has uh, come a long way in that regard. I mean, of course, antibiotics have helped, access to clean water and food has helped. But um, yeah, also a great reminder that the access to those really basic life-saving things is still not equitable. Uh, So really, really easy fixes. Um, Happy, happy holidays. Donate (laughs) holiday. Donate your money to someone who could use it. Okay, we're going to take a quick break and then be back with hopefully uh, a more uplifting fact. <laughs> you can host the best backyard barbecue. When you find a professional on Angie to make your backyard the best around. Connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Inside to outside. Repairs to renovations. Get started on the Angie app or visit Angie.com today. You can do this when you Angie that. Okay, we're back. And for perhaps a lighter note, I hope, <laughs> lighter than infanticide. It'd be to be darker. <laughs> Mary, Just would you uh, <laughs> would you tell us about some some mooses? 
the moose. Okay, well, so this is a, this is a um, this has to do with the question of when a ungulate of some variety steps into the road when you're driving, is it safer, smarter to swerve or to just hit it? And the answer is a little bit complicated. Um, according to the CDC, ten thousand people a year are injured when they take evasive action. In other words, they swerve because an animal stepped into the road and then they go off the road, they roll over, they hit a tree, whatever. Um, And that is only 2,000 fewer than um, are injured when they actually hit the animal. Uh, But interestingly, 77% of these were deer. Um, The ones that where people um, tended to be uh, killed were... uh, elk and moose, and in one case, a horse. Um, and so uh, clearly hitting bigger and taller is is more dangerous. And this has been investigated by Swedish bioengineers and the Swedish transportation research industry. Um, they funded a study where, and this is a this study was hard for me to understand. They filmed they they filmed it at high speed. It was a, a car hitting an actual moose, such that they could play it back in slow motion and see exactly what is happening when a car traveling fifty miles per hour, a Volvo, in fact, um, of course, hits uh, a moose. And um, but they they mentioned um, that this was an ill and weak moose, and that it was put to death um, shortly afterward which doesn't make sense to me because you're going if you're going to hit it you don't need to put it to the, anyway there was a it was a, a confusing they, they were they took pains to um make clear that it was an ill and weak moose that they were using to hit but there was something sort of odd in how they were saying that we didn't really kill it it had already died was, i mean there was there's I, only yeah. so much there's only so much you can do to say politely we killed a moose for this experiment exactly <laughs> Exactly. I, I think it was like they, they, they killed it. And then in the interim, like they wanted to say it's already dead when we hit it. But that would mean in the time it takes for a, a moose to be shot and crumpled to the pavement, you smashed into it. So it's a lot of very complicated <laughs> timing. Well, they're bioengineers, Mary. So I'm <laughs> sure they can handle it. I love exactly. I love that this experiment was on Volvos because um, as soon as you started your fact, I was thinking about I grew up in like rural south jersey uh where spotting a deer on the side of the road is like your first the first part of your driving lesson the most crucial part and my dad having a long commute uh hit several deer in my childhood sadly um all with his volvo which managed to survive (laughs) every time so clearly they did something right well the yeah the volvos um partly as a result of this research, but I think it probably had been done beforehand, Volvos and Saabs as well, your northern country cars have reinforced, you know, the struts that hold up the roof. Those are reinforced. Um, uh, and, and it's particularly important with the moose. Now, the moose, when you hit a moose, what happens, which we learned from the uh, study that I just mentioned, uh, what happens is you are striking the legs so you're knocking the legs out from under, and then the whole body, the torso and the head and the antlers, ends up cartwheeling over onto the car. And if it's a tall animal, crashing through the windshield and or the the, the roof. Uh, so you end up with a lot of um, broken necks and uh, a lot of people um, trying to duck and going sideways. So you know their head is broken one way or another. Um, and this is also... Um, an issue with camels. This was the the Swedish transportation board was um, after the study came out. They got a request from somebody in Saudi Arabia to create a uh, camel crash test dummy uh, because camels. Uh, there's a great uh, study. Um, I had the statistics here somewhere for the number of people. Oh, it was okay. Sixteen in sixteen camel strikes, nine of the drivers ended up. Quad, uh, with uh, quadriplegia, so oh it's a uh, because it wow. says you have a you know a camel sure. coming through landing on your head. Very top heavy animal. Yeah, uh, and the, and uh, the other thing that happens in Saudi Arabia, according to the a study by neuroscientists at the Riyadh Armed Forces Hospital, is that um, camel owners, if you hit a camel uh, and kill it, 
you then have to pay the owner. You have to compensate the owner for the camel. So mm. camel owners would kind of lurk in the dark. Oh, no. And, <laughs> and like what? encourage, yes, it's in the paper by the Riyadh Armed okay. Forces Hospital dudes. <laughs> they would kind of encourage the camel onto the road in order to get the payout. Like this would be their older, they're ill and weak. This would be your ill and sure. weak camels. Uh, at, in order to get the compensation. And uh, um, so this is, this is a serious issue with camel strikes in Saudi wow. Arabia. What a scheme. What <laughs> a scheme. Yep. Um, so the other thing that goes on, and this was, I liked this quote also, in, in terms of how what happens. I, I like the wording of this guy, the guy who was the designer of the moose crash test dummy, whose name was Manus Jens or Gens. This is how he phrased it. Crumpled steel interferes with the head's path. That's, yeah. Instead, right. of, is- instead of like your head smashes into the roof of the car as it collapses onto you, crumpled steel, I think actually he wrote crumbled was the way it was translated. I don't think he meant crumbled. I think he meant crumpled. <laughs> Because you can't really crumble. You can't crumble steel. steel. Crumpled steel interferes with the head's path, as though the head has its own kind of, kind of like the uterus. (laughs) The head goes where it will, you know, when the steel gets in the way. (laughs) That's right. Uh, Yeah. So lots of broken necks and severed spinal cords. Also a lot of, um, they mentioned a lot of lacerations, facial lacerations, and then pointed out that these are infected by, quote, entrails, hair, and feces. There's just a lot going on in those. Plus, if you survive, you have, you know, a moose or a camel in your lap, probably dead, but maybe not. Yeah, that seems potentially chaotic. It's potentially chaotic. So um, the answer to what you should do, is it safer to swerve or to hit? Um, uh, Depending on, for your smaller animals, obviously, uh, it's much smarter to hit them. Although, you know, we are emotional and people who who are emotional and we follow our instincts, you do tend to swerve anyway, but it is a lot safer. It's uh, safer to swerve with a smaller animal. If it's a larger animal, uh, it's safer. um, A larger animal, you want to just, uh, you do want to swerve because if it's tall, it's going to come and hit you and possibly break your neck. So in that case, you do swerve, particularly if you're on a desert highway with camels around, uh, you would want to go off into the sand there's no trees to hit so um swerving is much much safer with a camel than a moose this was my equivalent when i learned to drive because i grew up outside of philly also with lots of deer but we go to new hampshire every year where there are moose and so this was the number one driving lesson i was given by my father was if it's a deer you should you're better off hitting it and if it's a moose you are definitely better off swerving it yeah well he must have read this paper by Magnus <laughs> Jens a- and the Swedish Transportation Institute. He's a doctor who worries a lot, so I suspect <laughs> he did some research. Well, he totally got that right. He totally got it right. When I worked on this, though, because I started thinking about self-driving cars, I thought, okay, they're really rational. So what they're, I guess, and and uh, uh, Volvo and Saab have a large animal detection system, which looks for the profile of a moose or an elk or presumably a camel. Uh, and proceeds accordingly. It's it's where it tries to keep you from hitting it. But I want I wondered like if it's a dog or if it's a bobcat. Like what does the self driving car do? Does it does it swerve or does it not swerve? So I tried to call Google Google Waymo, who have the self driving uh, branch or or segment of their massive corporation, and I uh, I I said I really I wanted to come down and interview someone about that. And the media relations woman. Did not want to have relations with me. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. She said, let's get you down here to drive in the self-driving car. And I'm like, I don't want to drive in the car. I just want to talk to someone about what do you do if it's a beagle or a bobcat? Like, how does the, you know, it's a dog or it's a, like, how does the car make that decision? And if it slams on the brakes, does it check to see if somebody is behind? Because that could be bad. And, you know, if you slam on the brakes and the rear end of the car goes up and now the other person gets, goes under, uh, does it look to see if there's trees near you? So if you swerve, are you going to hit a tree? I mean, that's a lot for a car to figure out. I mean, it's a lot for a human to figure out. And I had a lot of things I wanted to ask, but she just absolutely stopped. She, she, I sent about <laughs> six emails and I finally started going like, I think her name was, 
her last name was Barrier, which was kind of appropriate. And I said, <laughs> I said it's be- it's I was, beautiful. I was, are, you, are you okay? I'm kind of worried about you. <laughs> and then it was right around that time that um, one of those Uber cars so, uh, hit at that pedestrian mm. in Arizona, just like it was a squirrel and killed. It was a woman, I guess. Anyway, so obviously the self-driving cars haven't figured out what's safest to do in any cases. But anyway. Yeah. yeah. No, there's that whole, the whole like trolley problem yes, situation with the cars. trolley program. Yes. I, yep. they, I think they do not like to talk about how they to deal with that because sure there's no don't. answer people will like, you know? Yep. There's really nope. no good answer. Um, my yeah. uh, my college boyfriend, Sherdeal, once stood me up because he was driving home in a snowstorm and hit a cow. And that was a really funny series of texts to get. He was okay. But he was like, I can't drive you to this very important appointment today because I, I hit a cow. And I was like, excuse me? <laughs> wow. Uh, but, well, see, now uh, cow is... Cow is very heavy, but it's got pretty short legs. Right. It, so, it apparently yeah. he was fine, and the cow wa- Didn't wandered notice. away. Yeah. <laughs> so it seems like it was a pretty ideal scenario for both parties. As cow strikes go. Yes. Yeah. 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 So that's kind of it for your moose crash test, dummy. <laughs> you should call like one of the smaller self-driving car outlets, or like a researcher. And see if they'll talk to you about the moose thing. I'm so curious now. I never thought about like detecting what kind of animal it might be. Yeah. They'd... But that's so important. Like so many people will come across those issues. Yeah. Yeah. And everyone's so focused on the people. What about the moose? Yeah. I guess it's, you know, with the, you know, the reason the, they have the large animal detection system. So, you know, because that's a straightforward answer. But the other one is not. It's not straightforward. It, and it, and, and, a beagle is about the size of a raccoon. And I mean, it's, it's, so it's, you know, obviously people have more emotional reactions to pets and they're probably more likely to swerve. And it's a, it's, I think it, they maybe just think if, if we humans don't know what to do, (laughs) we can't tell the cars what to do, but it is, yeah, well, the book's already out. So I'm not, I'm not, I'm no longer motivated to do anything else (laughs) on the topic. (laughs) All right, we're going to take a quick break, and then we'll be back with one more fact. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. I absolutely love this because, you know, if you own a home, it can be really hard to maintain. It's hard to find people that can help you for a big project or a small. Well, whether it's in everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality, It can be hard just to know where to start. But now all you need to do is answer that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Okay, we're back. And um, I'm going to talk about a ferret named Felicia. Um, and <laughs> I didn't share that it was named Felicia before, but that's wonderful. <laughs> Her contributions to science. Um, so uh, first, I am going to talk about uh, particle accelerators. And um, I'm not interested in explaining really what they are or how they work. So friend of the podcast, Ryan Mandelbaum, uh, texted me from a bird walk to provide their explanation. They wrote, anyway, particle accelerators are big round magnetic tubes that put energy into particles to make them go fast. You can do a lot of stuff with those fast particles, but most famously, you smash them together. Basically, by smashing them together, the energy from the speed turns into mass, producing new particles from the energy and helping physicists discover new things about the universe. Then they said, you can add, it's basically E equals MC squared. So that is all I will say about the function of particle accelerators for the rest of this fact. Because this is about ferrets. So 
Some listeners may recall that in 2016, the Large Hadron Collider, which is a big old particle collider in Switzerland, uh, shut down because of a weasel. Uh, There was a massive power outage that turned out to be the result of a small mammal now thought to be a Martin weasel. Um, It chewed through some power lines and sadly died, but not before taking the LHC with it, albeit temporarily. And uh, animals are not infrequent sources of trouble uh, in those facilities. In 2009, a soggy baguette (laughs) caused an electrical short at the LHC, and the prevailing theory was that a passing bird dropped it down into the electrical equipment. Uh, And in 2006, a Fermilab newsletter even recounted an only somewhat facetious report of a coordinated attack on the facility, which is a particle uh, accelerator in Illinois, by a family of raccoons. (laughs) It seemed like the raccoons just wanted to live there, but uh, they couldn't because it was a, a particle accelerator. So they they didn't have a secret plot to take it down. I I don't think so, but um, <laughs> that is how know. how the it, it was one of the more delightful uh, newsletter blurbs I've read from a scientific institution. So I'll I'll link to it on popside.com slash weird in the article for this episode. Um, but speaking of Fermilab uh, and back to ferrets. And weasels. Uh, I want to talk about a more positive animal interaction at a particle collider. Uh, so in the early 1970s, back when Fermilab was still called the National Accelerator Laboratory, um, it had been completed on schedule, which was good because the director had told the U.S. Department of Energy it would be online within five years, and they were already at the four-year mark. Uh, But when they tried to actually use it, they couldn't get the particles up to the necessary speed without the magnets inside shorting out. Eventually, they figured out that uh, basically a bunch of tiny metal shavings had been left behind by the construction and that they were interfering because magnets. But uh, the question was, how do you clean out a ring-shaped tube that stretches for something like four miles. Uh, Luckily, back in the late 60s, the Fermilab crew had brought on this guy named Bob Sheldon from England. Um, I wasn't able to find anything about Bob's, like, training, but the way his colleagues talk about him in uh, historical write-ups, he's presented as kind of like a folk hero in contrast to their, like, academic engineering physicist backgrounds. Um, He was some kind of manager at a lab in the UK. And at Fermilab, his job was literally to think of ways to finish projects faster and cheaper. So whenever anyone was like ordering materials or having trouble executing something, he would like, you know, come over and take a look and be like, no, do it this way. Um, One of the former research heads, Frank Beck, wrote that he was an affable North countryman with an expansive personality. (laughs) So I just get this picture of him being this very like salt of the earth, very like street smart guy compared to all of these uh, particle physicists, which I I just love. And I would read a lot more about him if I could find it. So I will try to track that down at some point. (laughs) But anyway, Bob looked at the tube cleaning problem. And he thought of ferrets (laughs) because uh, he said that hunters in Yorkshire, where he was from, um, had historically used ferrets to flush rabbits out of warrens to hunt them. Um, Wait, can I ask a question? Yes, An uneducated question. How big is the tube? Like in proportion to the ferret specifically? Um, That's a great question. I mean, the tube is uh, bigger than the average ferret, but not much bigger. It's like... I think it's like this. I know it's because I dated okay. a particle physicist once and he took me down into the the tube that's down at Stan- the SLAC, the Stanford Linear Accelerator. Yeah. So we walked around with near the tube. And I remember it being, you know. Like, yeah, it's like a, fo- a foot okay. or yeah. maybe less, but not like way less than that yeah. foot in diameter. Okay. Okay. All right. So that was smaller than I was. Than I was yeah, it's a pretty small tube. Definitely not like person sized. You can't like climb around in there. Okay. All right. All right. You would not have a good time, I don't think. (laughs) Um, So, yeah, basically, a ferret could be reasonably counted on to go into a tiny tube willingly and like keep going until they found their way out the other side. Um, So, because they everybody trusted Bob's opinion, they uh, purchased Felicia, the smallest available ferret from a fur farm in Minnesota for $35. 
And um, I think she was about, I read the, like 15 inches long, but she was like the narrowest ferret because uh, larger ferrets would, would push the limits of what they were comfortable putting into the tube. So Felicia actually never scurried around that four mile long main ring because she looked at it and was like, nope, <laughs> no, thank you. Um, it was probably a little bit too long and dark for her. It's just like a good instinct. Like the four miles is a long way yeah. for a ferret to run through a dark tube. I learned yeah. about that ferrets and stoats when I, in reporting for fuzz, uh-huh. one of the things there's a kind of, I just interrupted you. No, no, I, please. <laughs> otherwise I'll forget. There's this kind of trap that is more humane. Be, uh, requires that the animal stick its head up this tube and be very specifically placed. And then this bar comes out and it's like an instantaneous death. But what they didn't realize is that ferrets don't like, and stoats and weasels, which are all in my head, the same animal, uh, don't like to stick their heads in things. That was the quote. They don't like to stick their heads in things. So this was something your guy uh, perhaps didn't realize. Yeah. Yeah. No, they, they do need to be coaxed in. Yeah. Um, there needs to be some uh, some payoff. And they did, you know, feed her hamburger meat after her expeditions. But like four miles was just too dubious for her, which again, I think is like smart on her part. Um, but they did have her clean some shorter segments in a testing lab that got her up to being comfortable with a few hundred feet at a time. Uh, she did wear a diaper because there was some concern that she might uh, poop and introduce <laughs> more than contaminants. Yeah. Um, and then she did prove to be like an invaluable proof of concept for an automated system that they would later design to clean the main loop. But, um, you know, how did she clean it is a great question. And I have to say that when I first heard about Felicia, I really wanted to believe that she was just like a living pipe cleaner, like that her furry little body was was the literal cleaning yeah, implement. That's um, what I thought. Alas, that, that is not the case. I think Fish, that would... Yeah. <laughs> She'd need to be bigger. Right. And I don't think they wanted her like leaving fur behind in in the tube. Um, so she was more of like a pipe cleaner delivery device. She would go in with a string tied around her um, and someone would hold on to the other end of it so that once she got through, there was a length of string throughout the whole length of the tube. Um, then they would take. Oh. Yeah. Then they so took she like was the a needle. Fuzzy, uh-huh. mm-hmm, she was a needle. Uh-huh. And they took a fuzzy cleaning thing coated in some kind of like particle accelerator friendly <laughs> cleaning solution and they tied that to the end of the string and then they just pulled it through like cleaning like a, see. a wind instrument um or at least that's how I used to clean my flute not with a ferret but kind of the same principle and yeah they, they basically ended up inventing a magnetic object that was kind of jerry-rigged to rocket around the tube and pull a string along to do the same job that Felicia did um, and that worked well enough to get the facility online by 1972. So between her unwillingness to go into the main tube and their invention of a device that wasn't furry and hungry that could do the same job, she only actually worked at the lab for like a few months. And by 1972, she was uh, functionally retired, was more of a pet and mascot. There was a great 2019 Atlas Obscura article by uh, Jen Pinkowski about this, um, and which pulled together a lot of historical sources. And according to that article, Felicia spent most of her time as a, a boarder at a local mink farm, but sometimes would spend the night with Fermilab staffers. Um, and in 1972, unfortunately, while at the home of a staffer, she took ill and they brought her to a vet and she rallied a little bit, but then she passed away. Um, there were plans to taxidermy Felicia and keep her on site according to the very loving little obituary that ran for her in the Fermilab newsletter. But if that happened, no one knows where her remains were. So um, there may be a very historically significant stuffed ferret somewhere (laughs) in Fermilab or in somebody's like house in Illinois. Um, But that remains to be seen. Also, I should say Fermilab also has bison. Uh, I've met the Fermilab bison. They're very cute. Um, It's a great place. (laughs) So now my memory from having wandered around the Slack linear accelerator that time is that there was a certain amount of radiation. Like we weren't, Mm. we didn't stay down there very long because there was, so I'm I'm a little concerned about Felicia's 
exposure to radiation. That is a great point. Everything was powered down when oh, she was okay. present. Okay. Very good. <laughs> yeah. And just one more quick thing is that in researching Felicia's story, um, I found that she was actually following in the footsteps of another pipe scurrying ferret named Freddie. Uh, according to a 1948 article in Time magazine, um, some electricians in New Zealand decided to use Freddy the Ferret to thread wiring through protective piping. Um, similar to Felicia, he like scurried through with a string attached to him, and then his coworkers would drag the electrical wires through the length of the pipe using that string. Um, apparently they would hold a dead rabbit at the other end and use an air compressor to like waft the scent in, which is maybe something that they should have thought of at Fermilab if they wanted Felicia to scurry for four miles. Um, according to Time Magazine, the work Freddie did would have cost something like $300 in human wages every month, uh, which according to the first inflation calculator I could find is something like $3,400 today. Um, so no small feat. And that made him very unpopular with the New Zealand Electrical Workers Union, who filed several complaints against Freddie's company, um, including that they were employing a non-union worker and <laughs> and employing someone under the age of 15. <laughs> what? Uh, yeah, but not in ferret years. <laughs> yes, exactly. According to Time, uh, his colleagues uh, responded that the ferret was, in fact, already a grandfather. So they felt See, he was yes. <laughs> mature enough to hold down a job. Um, and they filled out a union card for him, which was accepted. Uh, so then it was all on the up and up for however long that's Freddie most, kept working. That's the most New Zealand resolution <laughs> to that story. Like, they just applied for a union card and they were like, well, that seems in order. <laughs> Uh, wow. That's all I have to say about ferrets in the workforce for now. Um, for now. <laughs> what was the weirdest thing we learned this week? A lot of weird stuff. Yeah, it's hard. Oh, man. Planet. I don't know. Somehow this yeah. is planet. <laughs> planet. 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 <laughs> yeah. Death Death by planet. Uh, planet. Pretty good. Learned a lot there. All right, yeah, Sarah, it you've, was, uh, you've got the win this week. <laughs> I'm, I'm so glad that my wildly depressing fact yeah, I'm, brought it. I'm choosing to forget like the last 10 minutes of your fact. but <laughs> Yeah, that's fine. That's absolutely fine. Um, Mary, thank you so much for, for joining us on the show. It was great having you here. Oh, I, I loved it. Thanks for having me on. And uh, listeners, don't forget to check out Fuzz uh, to learn more about crashing into moose, avoiding moose, and many <laughs> other uh, legal predicaments between humans and animals. The Weirdest Thing I Learned This Week is a popular science podcast. We're available on all major podcast platforms, so subscribe wherever you're listening now. And if you like what you hear, please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. It helps other weirdos find the show. For more information on the stories you heard in this episode, come find us at popsi.com slash weird. You can buy our merch, including Weirdest Thing t-shirts, tote bags, and mugs at popsi.threadless.com. The show is produced by all of our hosts, including me, Rachel Feltman, with editing and audio engineering by Jess Bodie. Our theme music is by Billy Cadden. If you have questions, suggestions, or weird stories to share, tweet us at weirdest underscore thing. Thanks for listening, weirdos. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. I absolutely love this because, you know, if you own a home, it can be really hard to maintain. It's hard to find people that can help you for a big project or a small. Well, whether it's in everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality, it can be hard just to know where to start. But now all you need to do is answer that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish. Or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps, because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I 
com. You can host the best backyard barbecue. When you find a professional on Angie to make your backyard the best around. Connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Inside to outside. Repairs to renovations. Get started on the Angie app or visit Angie.com today. You can do this when you Angie that.